For those that were listening last week that weren't here, and if you were here when the power went off, it scared the devil right out of us. We just want to let you know online that that was a power outage for the whole uh, development that we're in here. So it wasn't anything at your end, and as frantically as all of our audiovisual people were trying to fix it, it wasn't anything in the building here. It was external. So we're going to continue looking at Noah, but I want to just back up to a couple of slides from last week. Um, And I I want to show us these to help us to get a grip on the timing of what happened and how quickly God's people in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, from walking in the very presence of God, how quickly sin destroyed things. And how quickly man went from sinless man in the garden to their one of their sons committing premeditated murder to getting to the place in the time of Noah where God looked at the earth and all he saw was evil continuously. Scripture says that every thought that they had was evil. So I wanted to just look at a couple of the slides. The first one shows the generations. And this is what we would call or is called the godly line from Adam all the way down to Noah. If you look, we're looking at 10 generations. And the numbers there, Adam, Seth, 130 years. That's how old Adam was, the Bible tells us, gives us a real clear timeline of how old Adam was when he had Seth. And then it says Seth had Enosh when he was 105 years old. So on down the line till we get to Lamech that was 182 years old when Noah was born. I tried to stress this for a couple different reasons last week. One, to show us the timeline and how quickly it occurred and to show us that from a historical perspective, if you add up the years, you'll discover that Adam was alive until Noah's dad, Lamech, was 56 years old. So he was alive all that time. So when we think of the oral history, the storytelling, It wasn't like ancient history from great, 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 ten greats, grandpa, but it's been changed every time it came down a generation. Theoretically, Noah's dad could have sat and talked to Adam. Isn't that amazing? Amazes me. And yet evil, evil was spreading. Evil was doing everything it could to destroy even the godly line. So that by the time we get to Noah, go ahead and put the second slide up if you would, please. By the time we get to the godly line, or Noah, the total years from creation of Adam to Noah's birth was only 1,056 years. And from creation to Adam, because we know the Bible tells us clearly that Noah was 600 years old when the flood came. So if you add that together, from creation to the destruction of of all that breathed on land was only 1,656 years. Now, I know that sounds like a long time to us with our short lifespans. But just think, Methuselah, who was the oldest man to ever live as far as we know, he was 969 years old. He lived all but over, over half of that time he was alive. Amazing stuff. And then we come to Noah. 
And the story of creation and earth takes a dramatic change, dramatic twist. If you remember and if you go back and read in Genesis, you'll, you'll see the environment that they lived in. You know, it tells us it hadn't rained. There was this amazing atmosphere over the earth. All of these things, sin had not done to creation what it's done by now. But when the floods came and when they eventually come out of the ark, it's unbelievable all of the things that would have changed. They'd have looked at the sky and it would have been different. Clouds in the sky would have been different. The earth was different. So many things had changed. But by the time we get to Noah, evil is everywhere. The title of my message this morning is, is Noah, a minority of one. Believe it or not, according to the scriptures, the minority is going to experience heaven and eternal life with God. You know, more and more in these days, if we pay attention to all the media and the news that's out there, and this whole embracing of unbiblical, ungodly things and, and declaring them true and good, you would think that our time is running out. And I think that way. In Noah's time, he was one. And we sometimes feel like we're the only one. You get in certain environments and in certain groups of people, you feel like a pretty small minority. Matter of fact, so many times we get in that situation and we just kind of get real quiet. Because what's being talked about, we would disagree with from a biblical worldview on just about every point. So instead of making waves or drawing the attention to us and we being the recipient of the scorn or the mocking, we just keep our mouth shut. So we're going to look at Noah's situation and what took place as the flood occurs. I want to start with a story. Supposedly, it's true. I don't know that for sure. But it was a time when there was a serious, serious drought near a village near in Crete. And the drought had been going on for an extended period of time, and the weather forecast looked really bleak. It did not look good. So on a particular Sunday morning, the pastor or the priest at that time told the congregation, he said, there's only one thing that we can do that could possibly end this drought. He said, we need to gather together for what they called a litany for rain, a series of prayers, a responsatory prayers, a litany for rain, that God would break this drought. So he told his congregation, he said, I want you to go home this week, and I want you to pray, I want you to fast, and I want you to believe. And then come back here next Sunday morning, and we will do this litany for rain. Well, the people listened. The villagers listened. His congregation listened. They prayed and they fasted all week long. And they came back to church on Sunday morning. And as they came to the church and came in the church, pastor, the pastor, the priest was looking at them. And he became furious in his spirit. And he told the people, he says, go home. We are not going to do the litany 
for rain. And the people were taken back. And they says, why? Why are you so furious with us? Why do we, why are you sending us home? They said, we, we prayed. And we fasted. And we believed all week. And he looks at the congregation. He says, you believe? Where are your umbrellas? Noah believed. And he responded in obedience and an act of faith. He built this ark, this humongous ship in the midst of a godless, sinful, unsympathetic culture all around him. Try and put yourself in Noah's place for just a moment. Imagine what it would be like for Noah. God speaks to him and tells him he's going to destroy the world. Destroy all the people, all the animals that breathe that live on the land. He's going to destroy it all. And Noah listens to this. and God says, I'm going to create a flood. Well, what's a flood? It's going to rain like, what's rain? I'm going to, what's, a, what's an ark? What's it look like? If you go back at that time, depending on what you believe about the, the world at that time, many people believe that the, the land was a single landmass and it did not separate until after the flood. I don't know, but did he even know what a boat was? We can be pretty certain he'd never seen or built an ark as big as God was telling him to build. And one of the interesting things you see, if you read these chapters about the the story of the flood, you'll see that God says and speaks to Noah. He says this phrase, he either says God spoke to Noah or God said to Noah. It says it seven times. Seven times it says that. God spoke. God said to Noah. And the really interesting thing is in the that time when, when God spoke to him this many times, the Bible records Noah speaking to God exactly zero times. <clears throat> My inquiring mind would have been filled with questions. Or probably... I'd have been a little bit like Moses when he's told to go back to free his God's people. I, I, God, not me. I've never built a boat, much less this monstrous thing we're calling an ark. Or, God, are you kidding me? It's going to take way too long and be way too much work. I'd have been making excuses. I'd have had questions. I'd have been trying to get out of this situation. Noah doesn't say a recorded word in the Bible during this time. You know what it says? Noah heard and he obeyed. Whatever God commanded him, that's what he did. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him to do. Amazing faith. Amazing faith. Matter of fact, as I thought on that, meditated on this week, I I was trying to think of what other person that we read about in the Scripture demonstrated that kind of faith, the faith of Noah, asked to do something. I mean, God's telling him he's going to destroy all of humankind with a flood. What would it have been like for Noah 
amongst the people of that day. In Genesis 6, verse 3, it says this, Then the Lord said, there's one of them, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. Now that scripture, 120 years, has been interpreted a couple different ways. One of it, one of the ways that it's been interpreted is that man's going to live 120 years from now on. I don't believe that's accurate for a couple, three, four, five, six reasons. One of them being man continued to live longer than 120 years even after the flood. And it would con- totally contradict in Psalms chapter 90 verse 10 where it says the years of man will be 70 and if they're 80 if they're of great strength. So I don't believe that the God was saying, you know, man's been so evil from now on, they're going to only live 120 years. I don't, I don't think that's accurate. If you look at the context, he's talking about how evil man is. And he's had it with mankind. And he draws a line in the sand. Or you could even call it, there's a drop dead date been declared by God. 120 years from now, I'm going to send a flood and I'm going to destroy mankind. And it looks like he told Noah that. And it looks like it was kind of like, Noah, we've got a 120-year evangelism program. You're going to be building an ark. Can you imagine the attention that would have drawn from people? Noah, what the heck are you doing? Well, God told me, best repent. God told me, you need to believe and obey God and walk with God. But, of course, you lived in such an evil culture. That didn't happen. Can you imagine the mocking and the ridicule? Ever been mocked for your faith? You ever been made fun of? You don't really believe that silly stuff, do you? Why do you act so weird? All this Jesus stuff's getting a little old. Can't you just forget it for now? I've heard enough. You're crazy. You're a weak human being. You need the Bible as a crutch and Jesus as a crutch. What's wrong with you? Many of us have probably heard phrases something like that. But now try to imagine you're the only godly man on earth according to God. He finds favor in God's sight. Everyone else, it says it's evil. Every thought is evil. And this is what you're experiencing. Can you imagine what it would be like? And we probably can. Every single one of those people in the genealogies we looked at in those four slides, one of the things it says before they went on to the next person was, and they had other, more sons and daughters. I don't know how many relatives... Noah would have had alive at that time when God told him in 120 years. But I know Methuselah was still alive. I know his dad, Lamech, was still alive. Probably many, many siblings, many aunts and uncles, many cousins, probably all alive. And God is saying, I'm going to kill everybody. What would that be like? What a burden Noah would have had to been carrying knowing that. He was forewarned what was happening. And the reality is many of the people were probably forewarned because of Noah. 
No one walked with God, is what it said in the scripture. No one but Noah. But then it says in Genesis 6, verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I'll be mentioning that again a little bit later, but Noah found favor. That word favor there is grace. God found grace, gave grace when he looked at Noah's life. So the reality is God's grace even was given unto Noah as he walked with the Lord. He found favor with the Lord. In verse 13 of chapter 6 goes on and says, So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all the people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. And just this morning as I was going through this, my notes again, that, that verse, I am surely going to destroy. It brought me back in my memory to Genesis and the creation on day 6. When God says to Adam and Eve, if you eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, I will surely, you will surely die. And here again, he says, I am surely going to do this. It's going to happen. You can count on it. And in Genesis 6, 14 through 16, God goes on and gives instructions to Noah how to build this ark. And it's an amazing ark. He tells him, and depending on the length of a cubit, some historians can't quite agree on that. One of, the, one of the measurements of a cubit, they say it's from your fingertip to your elbow. Now, if you look at me, from my fingertip to right there is 18 inches. And they use that as a cubit. And if that is what it was, he's saying to them that 300 cubits by 50 by 30 turns into 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. It's a big boat. And very interestingly, the ratio of the length, the width, and the height is the ratio of modern huge ships. That ratio is almost unsinkable if it's built that way. And he doesn't just tell them how big to make it. He says some other things that are pretty interesting, and they play a part in what I want to point out later on. One, he says, when you finish it, I want you to cover it all with pitch or tar. He also told them that you're going to put a window in it. And there will be one door in the side. Only one door. It's going to have three decks. It's going to be a three-story boat. And in there, there is going to be many rooms. This is what you're going to build. And it probably took, and nobody knows for sure, but it probably, he didn't start 120 years in all likelihood. Shem, it tells us his sons weren't born until Noah was 500 years old. Now, this this is the stuff that interests me, so you'll just have to indulge me. Because I want to know, how long did it take to build that boat, Noah? Well, 120 years. No, probably not, because it tells us that he was 600 years old when the flood came. And it also tells us he was only 500 years old only when he started having his three sons. So that difference there between the birth of his first son and the flood is only a 100 years. And and the Bible tells us that he told Noah, you're going to go in, you're going to take your wife in, you're going to take your three boys, and you're going to take their wives with you. There's going to be 80 in the boat. So it appears that those kids had to be born, obviously. They would have had to get a little bit older, whatever age they got married at. So 
most people would agree and think that it, at the very, very most, it was probably 100 years, but it could have been as little as 45, 50 years to 75 years to build the boat. I like it, studying the numbers, but the reality is it took a long time. That's the main point. And the, 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 the importance in my mind of that is, first of all, his faithfulness year after year after year. His patience. I mean, sometimes I, we hear we believe God told us to do something, so we do it, and nothing happens. And about 24 hours later, we give up. Or a week later, or a month later, or a year later, we give up. God says, I want you to pray for this family member because I'm going to lead them to belief in me. We pray, and nothing happens, and nothing happens, and nothing happens, so we just quit praying. The faith of Noah is astounding to me as he hung on to what was to take place. And then the flood comes. And once again, I want to go through this. I'm not trying not to go on too many rabbit trails with it. But how long were they in this boat? How long were they in this ark, this monstrous thing? Well, it tells us in Genesis chapter 7 and 8, he says, seven days, he says to Noah, seven days from now, the flood's going to come. Get everybody in, get all the animals in. I'm going to bring them, get them in, put them in the rooms, do all that. Get the food on board, make sure you're ready to go. The ark is done. In seven days, the water's coming. And it told us that Noah was 600 years old. And it tells us an interesting thing. It was the second month and on the 17th day. Now, I'm not, I don't know for sure why these numbers and these dates are so important to God. But if they're in the scripture, they must be pretty important to him. To me, it's just amazingly interesting. If only thing it's supposed to do is give us an idea of how long this took. God's judgment and the fulfillment of that judgment and how long it all carried out. And then it says in Genesis 7, verse 11, the flood stayed, it began. The fountains of the deep, the fountains of the earth, the underground reservoirs broke open. In my mind, that almost looks like a volcano instead of lava and ash. It's just water bursting forth on the earth. And then it says the skies opened up. The rain is, the water is coming from the earth under the surface of the earth and it's coming from the heavens and it rains for how long? 40 days, 40 nights. And then a little bit later in Genesis, as we continue to read, and it started on the second month, the 17th day, and it says, the water prevailed on the earth for 150 days. And it gives us a date again. Working off a 30-day month, you can start to calculate the dates, but it tells us 150 days from the day the water started. So this 150 includes the 40 days and nights that it rained. For 150 days, the rain prevailed on the earth. And then it gives us a date. And it says in the 10th month and on the first day, the mountaintops were visible. Using the calendar and using the dates, here we have another 74 days had passed. And then it goes on and tells us 40 days later, Noah opens the window. There was a purpose for that window. And he lets out a raven. And it says the raven just flew back and forth and back and forth. The raven was probably really doing, probably wasn't a shortage of food for a raven. But he didn't come back. And then it says seven days later, Noah sent out a dove, and the dove returned. 
And it says, And another seven days passed, and Noah sent out the dove again. And this time the dove returned, but this time he returned with a freshly picked leaf in its beak. And he waited another seven days, and he sent out the dove again. And it tells us on the twelfth month, on the second day, the dove didn't come back. And then it tells us in Noah's 601st year, he's now 601 years old, on the first day of the first month, if we go back from the time that the dove went out and didn't come back, 29 days have passed. And it says the water was dried from the earth. But Noah, he remained in the ark, but he removed the covering of the ark. He took the roof off, took the top off the ark. And then it says that on the 27th day of the second month, the earth was dry. So from the first day of the first month, when he took the roof off, to the 27th day of the second month, another 56 days had passed, giving us a total, depending on where you started counting, 370 days. Noah was in the ark for 370 days year. And then finally, God says to him, Noah, in verse 15 and 16 of Genesis chapter 8, Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. And they came out of the ark. They opened the door and came out of the ark. And it appears that the first thing that they did, amongst the animals that they were told to bring in the ark, were some animals that were described as clean in God's sight. So the first thing Noah did was he built an altar and sacrificed clean animals unto the Lord. And the Bible tells us that it was a soothing aroma unto God. After all that has taken place, I try to imagine what it would have been like to come out of that ark. First of all, finally, thank goodness, we're out of the boat. I don't know how they did the air conditioning or removed animal waste, but I'm out of the, I'm out of the ark. And then I had looked around and how different it would have looked from the environment that we had the day I went in the ark. The atmosphere has changed. The appearance of the skies would have been different. Everything would have looked different to him. And then God fulfills a promise that he made to Noah before he went into the ark. He told Noah before he went into the ark in Genesis 6:18, I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your, do- and your wives and the sons' wives with you. And then in Genesis chapter 9, where we would be at now, as they come out of the ark make the offerings unto God, God describes the covenant that he is going to make with Noah. And not only with Noah, it's interesting, it reads this way, God covenants with every living creature of all flesh to never destroy all flesh with a flood again. And then Noah gets to see the sign that's to remind God of this covenant. There's a rainbow, or he calls it a bow a bow in the sky. There'd never been one before because it never rained before. Noah looks at this 
in this new sky, this beautiful rainbow, sign that he would never, ever, ever destroy the earth and humanity again with water. So I'm going to take the remaining minutes I have and, and have us look at, whether you call it types and anti-types or shadows and foreshadows, all of these things, there is, in my mind, the ark and the flood definitely foreshadowed Jesus Christ and the second coming. And the thing that I want us to really understand, if you only get one thing out of this whole story today, is God warned Noah and many of the people would have heard the warning. You've got 120 years. God is patient. He's long-suffering. His heart is that none should perish. In Noah's day, zero outside of Noah and his family got in that ark because no one else responded to the warning. Church, we've been warned. We have been warned. And we have this picture of Noah and the ark. And I believe I'm just going to read off some things that I think we can see without getting too carried away in my imagination of what some of the meanings are. Noah found favor. When God looked upon the earth, he saw Noah. Noah found favor. He found grace because Noah believed. Noah was saved by grace through faith because he believed God. For us, it's the same thing. God gives grace. And we accept that by faith. And we are saved by grace through faith from the judgment that's coming and it's going to come. Noah, by entering the ark, he ensured the physical safety, the physical health of his family and himself. And when you and I enter into saving faith in Jesus Christ, it ensures the spiritual survival of us, each one of us. Some people, I believe, very mistakenly take that picture and say, well, Noah and his righteousness saved his family, therefore my righteousness saves my kids. No, it doesn't work like that. We all have to make our own decision. And we're all saved by grace through faith. For Noah, when God instructed him, there was only one door into that ark. Nobody argued with God and said, God, I don't really like that door. I don't think it's a good door. I'm going to go in another door. There was no other door. If you didn't enter the ark through that door, you didn't get in the ark. Jesus is our door. He declares himself that he is the door. Scripture is clear in the New Testament that he is the door. He is the only way into salvation. Jesus is our ark, so to speak. And we can only enter one way, by faith. Because of the grace of God. There is no salvation in any other other than Jesus. I found this particularly interesting. Hopefully one or two of you do. When he had finished building the, the ship, the ark, God said, I want you to cover the whole thing. Every inch of it needs to be covered with pitch or with tar. Why? To seal the wood. So the wood wouldn't become waterlogged. That it would be safe. It would float for a full year. This is the interesting point to me. The word pitch 
the Hebrew word for pitch is kofar. It is the exact same word for the atonement. The atonement. Mind-boggling. Put a covering on the ark so that the ark will survive. That your safety will be assured. Put an atonement upon the ark. Jesus Christ is our atonement. He is our covering. He is our protection. He atoned for our sins. The blood of Christ covers us, securing us. Amazing to me. It's what made Noah and his family's salvation possible. Yeah, they had to have the boat, but they had to have the covering. The cross, the blood, the atonement for us. He is our atonement. He is our kafar. God closed the door. God had given 120 years, and when it was time for Noah to go in, they had all the animals in, all the supplies were in, and now it's time for the family to go in, and God closed the door. When the rain started and the earth opened up, I can't even imagine what it would have been like for everybody outside that ark. Those that would have been close to the vicinity of the ark, I'll bet somewhere along the line they wanted to get in that ark. They probably were many trying to cling to the sides of that ark. But it was going to take a full year before Noah could come out of the ark. He closed the door. No one else could get in. There was no second chance. For us, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When God's judgment comes this next time, those that have not been sealed with the Holy Spirit, it's too late. There's not a second chance. That's not fair. Well, we've had a warning of nearly 2,000 years. We have been warned clearly what's coming. It should stir in us whatever it stirred in Noah and then some. It's certain it's going to happen. We've been warned. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fury built an ark to save the family, his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith he obeyed God. By faith... He saved himself and his family. I'm going to read two different places in Scripture and close. Matthew 24, verse 36. You might want to write this down. If you don't think you've been warned, listen to what I'm going to read. We have been warned. Matthew 26, or 24, starting at verse 36. No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, not even the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah. There's our type. There's our picture. There's our foreshadowing. If it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man when Jesus comes back. 
For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. No one believed is what it means. No one took it seriously. No one believed Noah. Verse 40, two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a, with a hand mill and will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect Him. He could come any time. Any time. We have been warned nearly 2,000 years ago. The Bible tells us all are without excuse. Even creation is crying out that there's this God. But we who have had the Bible for so long, the Word of God, in 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 9, Peter wrote these words. First of all, you need to understand in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. In the last days, there's going to be people who think you're crazy. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to make fun of the Word of God. It's going to happen. Might already be happening, huh? And they will say things like, where is this coming that he's promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Oh, really? But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of the water and by water. And by these waters, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. The word that caught my attention was they deliberately ignored the truth. They deliberately ignored the warning. They didn't want to change their life. They wanted to go on just like it was. Good was being called evil, and evil was being called good. Verse 7, by the same word, by the same word, by the same God, the present heaven and earth are reserved for fire. It's not going to be a flood being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. God has given a warning. And His church should hear this warning and should heed this warning and it should stir in every one of us this overwhelming desire to try to share this warning with others because anyone who does not receive the gift of salvation that God extends in his hand of grace is going to perish by fire and then they're going to suffer eternally in the torment of hell. Noah believed in the midst of an unbelieving, an ungodly, 
in an unsympathetic world, and he was a minority of one. Thankfully, we are not a minority of one, but it seems like it's getting smaller all the time. We need to ignore the majority. The majority is not always right, and in this case, they certainly aren't right. But the pressure we can feel from our peers or even family members can be overwhelming sometimes. We need to stand by faith. Speak truth in love, no matter what the majority is saying or doing. Remember, I said truth in love. But we can't remain silent. The majority will lead people to destruction. We're called to be part of that minority who respond in faith and obedience to God's word. We're not to argue with God, debate with God. We're not to to read his word and say, that doesn't sound fair. That can't be right. A loving God would never do that. Word of God is truth. and We've been warned. We need to take advantage of God's deliverance. We need to encourage others to take advantage of God's deliverance from sin and the consequences of sin that's available to every single person through Jesus Christ. But we are a minority, and it shouldn't surprise us. The last scripture I want to read this morning is in Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. We need to stand in faith even if we're the only one standing in faith. Let's close in prayer. Worship team would come forward. Heavenly Father, we, first of all, God, I thank you for the warning that you have given us. Father, that we are without excuse. You have warned us. You have told us exactly what's going to take place. That we don't know the time and the hour, but it's coming. Even as in the days of Noah. Father, I pray you would stir in our heart a greater desire to walk with you. That you would create in our hearts a hunger for your word and for truth. And that you would stir in our hearts a love for those that do not know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That would compel us to share the good news of Jesus. Father, I thank you for the example that you've given us in your word in the life of Noah. Father, may we not make the same mistakes the world made at that time. May we be like Noah. Let's stand and close with this worship song this morning.